I want to I want to go back a little bit to what Roy might have said in the welcome. If you didn't hear it, then maybe you'll hear it for the first time. We're we're doing these journeys of the discipled life. We're spending seven weeks on the discipled life, and if we if we think that we can encapsulate the entire spiritual journey into seven weeks, we're wrong. And if you think that you can learn the entire spiritual journey in seven weeks, then then you're wrong. This this might be what I would call an appetizer for the next seven weeks. So if you were not here the last two weeks, I highly encourage you, go to our app, go to the weekly journey guides, and start with Earner to Air, and watch the service, and maybe engage some of those resources that are there. And if you didn't catch last week, self-hearted to soft-hearted, go out there and do the same there. Get a taste. I, I challenge you also to be here, if, or online, whatever, for the next few weeks as well, the next five weeks, including today, I guess, to, to really get an idea of how you might be able to just break down the overall spiritual journey, grow, be like Jesus, whatever that's like, be the church, into something much more maybe manageable. But know that these journeys are really journeys of a discipled lifetime. These are places and spaces and journeys and movements that you will go back to. You may think, oh, I I understand Jesus. I got it. He's my Savior. I trust him. I don't need to go explore under the air. I bet you're wrong. There will be some point in your life where you need to go explore that again. Self-hearted to soft-hearted is probably one of those where learning obedience to everything Jesus commanded. Oh, I could revisit that often. So I encourage you, listen, explore, dabble for these next few weeks. Go back if you didn't catch the first two weeks. And then when it's all said and done, choose one and begin to explore it at a deeper level. You guys know what a topographical map is, a topo map for short? It has all these lines on it. And if you look at a mountain, you know, on a, on a map like that, it's got all these lines. And I kind of think of the journeys that way, that maybe the first line where it's not quite as steep, that may be the first pass through one of these journeys. But as you go up some of those mountains, if you look at that on paper, you know, well, I, got, I, I can do that again, or I can do that again, or I can do that again. Or maybe you could think of them as valleys, where maybe you touch it superficially initially, and then you're going to go deeper, deeper, deeper into these movements. I've had friends of mine, some here, some not any longer, that said, oh, I've already gone through those seven journeys. And I go, really? Do you got to figure it out? So to use the single words, trust, obey, share, relate, serve, give, disciple, you got all that figured out? BS. You don't. You might think you do, but I, my guess is you're in a complacent state. And maybe you need to explore. Maybe the first one, the self-hearted, the soft-hearted, maybe understand that you don't have it all figured out. That this is a lifetime of learning to obey everything Jesus commanded and learning to love others as he commanded. I find it amazing in Matthew 22, 36 through 40, Jesus says something when he's asked this question. He's asked, Jesus, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Now, most of the time when he was asked these questions by Pharisees or Sadducees, they were trying to set him up. They were trying to get him to make a mistake. But he's pretty amazing at what he said. He goes, well, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And as Roy said in the welcome, that's probably where the Western church has stopped with this passage. We've made the spiritual journey about us. Well, as long as I love God and feel the love of God, I receive the love of God, that's it. But he didn't stop there. He went on. He went on to say, 
and the second one is much like it or is equal. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. I find that mind-blowing, to be quite honest. First of all, that there's over 600 commands in the Old Testament and that Jesus dwindles that down to two. And so often in my life, I've probably focused more on the first one than in the last few years on that second one. So, moving from receiver to giver. Some people think, well, I have to have it all figured out. I have to have all this knowledge of the Bible. I have to know this. I have to be able to explain that. I, I got to be able to explain the Trinity. I got to be able to explain prayer. I got to be in prayer every day to be able to share your faith. And that is just wrong. I don't know where we've learned that, but we have. And if we've taught that, we're wrong. We're sorry. That's not at all the way it could be and should be. You just have to begin to move towards being a receiver. Just begin to understand. Just begin. There's this God. He loves me. He sent his son to die for me. That's how much he loves me. I don't have to earn his love. I get to be an heir in his family. That's the beginning of earner to heir. Self-hearted to soft-hearted is taking a long, hard look in the mirror and realizing, wow, I'm, I'm more messed up than I ever really imagined. And yet, I'm also more loved than I could even fathom. And somehow what God says ought to matter most in my life. And so when I'm obedient, I feel that. I feel good. I sense that. And when I'm disobedient, there is a disconnection from God as my father because I'm invited into his family. So spend some time there. Spend some time there to get that receiver thing moving. Because here's a phrase that Roy has coined over the years here at Shoal Creek. If you've heard it, great. If you haven't, you're going to hear it for the first time. You can't give away what you don't have. So what do you have? Have you started down the path of being a receiver? And if not, start there. Start there. So my question is, though, why did God connect love of God with your heart, soul, mind? Another passage adds strength. Why did he equate that with loving your neighbor? See, I think as we experience his grace in our lives, as we experience his forgiveness, as we experience his love, he says, don't hoard it. Don't hoard it. Be exactly like me, he says, and give it away. And not just to your family members who you love and like, or most of them, and not to maybe your closest friends, but eventually, he says, to your enemies. Give it away. And then you're being just like me. There's, a, there's a, a little booklet that's called the Gospel Saturation Primer. And I wouldn't say it's little, actually. It's, it's, a, it's a fairly decent read, but it, it impacted me. Uh, I read it a couple years ago in ways that I just didn't expect it to impact me this many years into my spiritual journey. It's by an organization called Christ Together. But the phrase that hit me the most was the gospel, the good news, the love of Jesus, however you want to word that, is for every man, woman, and child. Every man, woman, and child. And they go on to say that we, the church, should be able to give every man, woman, and child where we live, learn, work, and play the repeated opportunity 
to see, hear, respond, and follow Jesus. And when I read that, I was convicted. Because I, I work here on staff at Show Greek, so one argument is, well, the folks that come here, that's, that's who I'm going to try to help. And God says, well, that's okay, that's good, you should. But that's not every man, woman, and child. Okay, 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 I live in a cul-de-sac, maybe I could focus on those four other homes. That's good, but that's not every man, woman, and child. So if we are to accomplish the Great Commission to make disciples of every nation, or really disciples that speak every language is maybe another way of saying it, if we are to do that as a church, we're going to have to leave this building. And we're going to have to think about where we live, where we learn, where we work, where we play, whatever categories you want to think about, your spheres of influence. Where, where do you spend your time? That's likely where your neighbor is, according to that passage. One Pharisee tried to challenge Jesus, and Jesus said, well, he asked the same kind of question. Jesus said, well, you know the law of Moses. What do you think? And that Pharisee answered very similar to the way Jesus did. And you're like, wow, that's pretty good. He got, he got darn close. But then he kept his mouth running. And he said, Jesus, who, who's my neighbor? <laughs> it's like, dude, you should have stopped. Because then Jesus goes on to tell the story of the Good Samaritan. And it's, it's not a real story. It's a fictitious story like he told many of. But he said, look, there was this man who was robbed and left for dead, a Jewish man, on the side of the road. And two Jewish religious leaders passed by him, one after the other, and did not help him. And a Samaritan who was hate that, that Samaria, Samaritans were hated by the Jews and vice versa. But a Samaritan came along, saw the man, had mercy and compassion for him, helped him with his wounds, carted him to an inn, and then paid the innkeeper to care for him for a couple days and said, if it costs more than I've left, I'll be back and pay you it all. And he tells that story, and the Pharisees, Jesus says, so which, which is the, who acted like their neighbor? And the Pharisee's like, uh, the one who showed him mercy? And he says, yes, go and do likewise. So the command to the church to be givers is equal to the command to love God. To be loved by God. With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength to love God. We're supposed to love others that way. That's challenging to me. I hope that it's a, a continued lifetime challenge. There's a little booklet that uh, we, we bought a bunch of, and they're out there at the information center. They're also in the bookstore called Love Your Neighbor, a field guide for adopting your neighborhood. And I encourage you to pick one of those up today. They're free. Uh, in, in some very, I mean, a very short little booklet, they pack a lot in here, but it's very simple. And I want to I give them credit for a lot of what I'm going to say today and, and how they made it so simple. Here's the way that I envision the heart of God in loving your neighbor through this little booklet. You pray, you care, you share. And you do it in that order. It, have you ever thought about just praying for God to give you the opportunity to see people with his eyes? I haven't done that a lot, but I did that a few years ago, and whoo, it's a dangerous prayer. Because you begin to see things as you pray that regularly and expectantly. Like, I know he's going to answer this. He opens doors. 
not to go stand on a street corner with John 3.16. I'm talking about to begin to build community through building relationships. But prayer is something that I so often forget in my life. I have such self-confidence at times that I rush out the door and think, I'm going to do this or this or this or this. And sometimes that served me well in my life, but a lot, to be honest with you, in my spiritual journey, it quite frankly has not. Because I get ahead of God instead of sitting back and being patient and praying for his guidance. Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to talk to? Where I live, where I learn, where I work, where I play. There's this little uh, no, different organization, by the way, called the Art of Neighboring. I don't know if you guys can all see that. They call it the block map. It's pretty simple. You got nine squares. You're in the middle, so to speak. I realize not everybody lives in a square. Think, think outside the box with me. Think, think outside the square. But you're supposed to put yourself on there, and then here's the challenge. And by the way, the instructions are on the back in case this is too difficult. They're at the info center as well. The first time I did that, I was challenged. It said, put yourself in the middle and go and see if you can name all of your neighbors, that, the eight surrounding homes. Let's say the eight nearest homes. Let's say you live in an apartment complex, the, the eight nearest apartments. I don't care. If you, if you live out on some land far away from folks, well, good luck. Figure it out. But it also could be where you work. It could also be where you play, or if you have kids, maybe where they play. Maybe it's the parents of the other kids. Maybe it's your hobbies. You don't just have to think neighborhood, even though that's kind of what that was set up for. But try that. I encourage you to grab one of those and just try it. And one of the things they say to do is to pay attention to the empty spaces. Pay attention to the names that you can't. I'm like, uh, hmm, man, I know I met that guy. It's been nine years. And if I go up to him today and say, hey, I know it's been nine years. We've been neighbors, but... What's your name? Now, if you don't want to have that little bit of egg on your face, you can use this thing called Facebook and probably figure out their names. But there's a good chance that they don't remember yours either. So you could lead and help them out by like, hey, I'm Sean. What's your name? Or, hey, you know, so-and-so, how, how are you doing? But what I, what I got out of that exercise was to then begin to pray for those folks. Once I knew just their names, to begin to pray for them. And again, as I said, I didn't do this well. And so a few years ago, Julie and I tried to do a discovery group. That's the similar groups that we do here at Show Creek. We tried to do one out in our neighborhood, in our cul-de-sac. And I went around and asked each of the four families if they wanted to join us. And the only people that joined us a few days later, a few weeks later, I don't remember, were Julie's sister <laughs> and our nephews who happened to live right next door. And even though we had a cool connection time, for the next several weeks, I realized at that moment that what I did not have, what Julie and I did not have in our neighborhood is we did not have relational equity. We had not spent the time investing in the relationships and not just, not just getting to know people like a neighbor. I mean, I was a friendly neighbor. Hi, how you doing? Neighborly acquaintance. How you doing? Yeah, you, if you need any tools or you want to, you know, let me know. Oh, you're going to be gone for vacation? I'll mow your yard. I mean, that's... That's neighborly. But I mean, like, what's your spouse's name? What's your kids' names? What do you do for a living? What do you like to do? What's your hobbies? More importantly, what's your story? And so this 
second iteration, all of those families moved out, including Julie's sister. And we still connect with them, but they live far away now, down in Versailles, Missouri. It's further away. All those families moved out, and two of those couples divorced. One, and that's what caused the move, and the other, after they moved. And we would have we never thought they would divorce. And it pains me to think that, you know what, I didn't lead in prayer. I didn't get down on my knees, so to speak, and pray to God, like, God, help me to have some inroads. Help me to have the gumption to just walk across the cul-de-sac and say, hey, what's new in your world? And I did that for this last time. We knew about a little bit about some of the couples, but I just began to pray this time, like, God, I don't know what to do. I want these people to know you. I, I want to love my neighbor as much as I think I love you, but I want to now demonstrate that and begin to lead it in prayer. Now, I, I, don't, want to, I don't want you to think, oh, were you down on your knees every night? No. But regularly, I would be praying for all of my neighbors or some of them. And you would not believe the doors that opened. One of my neighbors came up to me and said, hey, uh, since we've lived here, I just noticed something's different about this cul-de-sac. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah. He goes, we understand what y'all are doing. <laughs> I was like, what are we doing? Well, we're getting to know each other. We're no longer neighborly acquaintances. We're, we're friends. This week, one of the gals was in the hospital battling bronchitis. And another neighbor informed me Tuesday night, so then the prayers begin to move out. Just thinking of her, praying for her, asking her husband when I finally saw him the other day, hey, is she home? Yeah, she's home. It, it's just amazing. That didn't happen before. Prayer. If we don't lead with prayer, we are going in our own power, and I feel that we're probably going to fail. Maybe God will let us fail so that we then lean on him. And he certainly showed me that very much in my life. Let's talk about the second word, care. Let me read a passage. I don't have it up on the side screens. I apologize for that. But caring for someone with intentionality and with curiosity. Being curious about them before you share anything about you or Jesus. Wanting to just know something about them. John 1.14 in the message version states it this way. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That's talking about Jesus coming to this earth, but the message version puts it in such American slang. It's kind of cool. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, the father like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. And as I read that this week, I thought to myself, would my neighbors say the same thing about Sean and Julie? Would they say, Sean and Julie moved into the neighborhood? And they moved into this neighborhood. Of course, we lived there before them, or they moved into the neighborhood. And we understand that they follow Jesus because they love us well. We saw it. Long before they read any other Bible, they're going to read you. You're, you are very likely the first Bible that somebody, your neighbor, your work, coworker, your family member, your friend is going to see, is going to read. And so you think about caring for someone, it's, it's, it's getting to know them. And this, this can be really challenging. I've discovered this. I'm a better talker than I am a listener. 
I can hear my wife laughing, and she's down, down in the lower main with the kids. And that was my mom. <laughs> I just thought about, have I served my neighbors well? Just by, by serving them in some way, as well as also just getting to know them. Before I say anything, and the same gentleman that said, hey, I, I kind of know what y'all are doing. One of the first times he was ever outside, Julie and I were playing cornhole. And playing cornhole with my wife is like playing cornhole with a two-year-old. Sorry, Julie. Okay, seven-year-old. Seven-year-old. She's not very good. She doesn't like it. But I was like, come on, I got these new boards and the bags. Let's play. She's like, yeah, one game. And she was inside. And this neighbor says, hey, you care if I come over and play? I'm like, heck yeah. So we just started playing. Well, he was pretty new to the neighborhood at that point. I, I mean, I was like, okay, Sean, don't you say a word. Just ask questions. And don't ask Jessica no questions. So tell me about yourself. Where'd you grow up? What's going on? And man, I learned some, I learned some brutal stuff about his family. Losing a small child months after they were born. In, in really our first deep conversation. And I thought to myself this week, that's more about what it's about. It's about caring. It's just exploring, having a curiosity about another human being, asking open-ended questions, and occasionally sharing a little bit about my life. And for those of you that know me well, know that I, I'm going to talk. And I've had a lot of life experiences, so I can, normally I can say, oh yeah, well I did that there too. And just step back from that and just keep exploring. And that hit me front and center a few weeks ago when I was playing pickleball with some other friends. And one of our fellow pickleball players had hurt his foot. He had stepped back on his dock and cut his heel. And that takes a little while to, to heal. Get it? Anyways. <laughs> As he was driving by and we were done playing pickleball one Monday morning, he pulled in because he saw my truck. And he walked up, and two of us were standing there still. We were just done playing pickleball. We were now talking a little bit. And he says, I'm like, hey, man, how's your heel doing? He goes, oh, it's okay. I'm hoping to be back in a week or so. And I'm like, geez, tell me how you did that. And before, he, he, he basically got the words out, well, I stepped back on my dock. The other person standing with me begins to share a story about, hey, how they had cut their foot. And I had this moment like, wow, you normally do that too. So to pray and to care before you share is pretty vital and in that order. I don't know how many of you are watching The Chosen or have watched The Chosen. If you have not started watching The Chosen, I cannot recommend it any higher. And the first season I thought was pretty good, especially as you got into maybe three, four, five, seven and eight were phenomenal. I think it was eight. Anyways, seven. The second season I binge watched this week because I haven't been feeling well since about Monday night, to be honest. And so I binge-watched it one afternoon slash evening, and I wept three or four different times because I saw Scripture just lived out. And th this one scene, I just got to relate to you, and I'm sorry if you haven't seen this episode, but the, the disciples are basically camping out with Jesus as they're moving along. And they're all getting the fire ready and getting food ready and setting up their little shelters and the whole day and into the evening, late evening, late at night, Jesus is in another little shelter healing people. 
of all sorts of things. And, and they kind of move from the disciples' discussion to occasionally showing the line, and it's a long line. And one disciple would come back and I'm like, well, they're still coming, and they're still coming. And then the disciples would have this really awesome conversation around the fire pit, or the fire. We would do it around a fire pit. There's just had rocks. But, and, and they were just being honest. They're like, geez, all these people. And boy, I find it hard to, to follow God. And, and yet he says he's the Messiah, but he hasn't really said that publicly, but to us. And they're just having this real discussion where you go, wow, I think it's amazing how they brought Scripture to life that I haven't ever even realized as many times as I've read it, that the disciples were just ordinary people. And this person, this God, this Son of Man, as he called himself, came into their life and began to do some radical stuff. Not just miracles and healing people, but the things that he said, like, love your neighbor just like you should love God. And they're still kind of bickering about it. And finally, Jesus walks in from this long line. He had, he had seen every person and healed every person. He just kind of walks by and he's like, good night. And he's exhausted. And his mother, who happened to be present there, she recognizes his exhaustion. And she had just made a comment earlier that she had not really cared for him since she was, he didn't really need her care since he was a baby or a boy. So she goes over and helps him take off his sandals, and basically he just falls into his bedding. And I thought to myself, that's the way God wants us to feel. We ought to feel exhausted when we care for people. We ought to feel exhausted from caring for people. And I've asked myself this week especially, how often have I felt exhausted in caring for people? And to use the Good Samaritan story, a neighbor is not just someone who might live here or live there. It's someone that crosses your path. I don't know if you guys know some of the folks around here. There's men and women doing something called Share the Hope, where on Monday nights and Friday nights, they're going into the Clay County jails, or jail, excuse me, and they're talking with and doing a discovery group with the men and women that want to come to it. And they ask the question, what are you thankful for? And they ask the question, what's your biggest challenge? And the stories that they hear are brutal. Quite frankly, I don't always want to hear them all. I'm like, I can take a dose. But they keep going. So the, these men and women have discovered that that's who their neighbor is. That's who they're going to go love like they are trying to love God. They're going to give up a Friday night and a Monday night, some of them both times, some of them not. To go and just begin to see some of these people who have had brutal upbringings, brutal things in their life. Some they're responsible for, some they're not. That's their neighbor. And I went, that's caring for someone. Let's move on to share. When I think about sharing, once you've prayed and once you've cared... To share authentically and transparently. I think one of the worst things you could do is to show up for a gathering, a meeting one-on-one -on -one or with a few people. Let's say that you have prayed for them. Let's say that you have cared for them in some manner. You know their story. You've served them in some way, whatever. And now you're going to share. And you want to share the good news. You really do. Because once they understand and meet and know Jesus, their life changes not only here but forever. And, and you kind of want to get to that. So there's this, there's this desire to share that. 
But if you just kind of do the Bible thump, as I call it, like, hey, I've been reading the Bible a lot in my life, and, and it's been going really good, and, and thump them with the Bible and say, you ought to read it. Man, it's just not, that's a mistake. I have found, I just did this recently with my new friend Gary. Gary and his girlfriend Ashton came over to Starting Point a few weeks ago. He doesn't know I'm sharing this, neither does she. They began to engage. I sensed that we had a connection. We went to lunch. We went to 54th Street and began to explore him some more. And I just shared the ups and downs of my spiritual journey, the authenticity, the transparency, Nothing held back in that sense. Taking a risk occasionally. But we were talking about Jesus in our lives, just not about Jesus only. How he is impacting my life and his life. And one of the things that he said to me is, hey, hey I recently read the book of Matthew in one sitting. And I went, man. He goes, well, you suggested it in starting point. I'm like, well, yeah, but I bet you're one out of a hundred people that actually do it. And he goes, he goes, I had been reading in Genesis, and I know God's been, been calling me towards him for the last four or five months. My life is changing. I'm, I'm much softer, harder than I've ever been. But when I read Matthew, I was like, oh, my God, I get introduced to your son, Jesus. And, and it hit me across the lunch table like, I'm going to cry right here in 54th Street. Because I was just like, wow, for someone who's been on their journey for a long time, that was amazing to hear. And it challenged me, do I think of it, of Jesus that way often? that I get to connect to him, relate to him, and I get to connect to the Father because of him. I mean, it just blew my mind. But we were sharing about what God is doing in our lives, not just about a Bible passage. Does that make sense? Earlier I said, you can't give away what you don't have. Here's another way to think about it. You will give away what you do have. The people that you come into contact with, where you live, where you learn, where you work, where you play, those spheres of influence that you move in, those relational circles, you will give away what you have. So what do you have? Is it time to spend some effort and energy on receiving and really exploring that? Is it time to challenge yourself to pray and to care and to share for others and taking the love of God and saying, I'm not going to hoard this. He wants me to give it away. There's another phrase around here that I want to share with you guys that I've heard. Have, uh, Roy might say that he took it from someone else. It doesn't matter. It's learning to be spiritually obvious without being religiously obnoxious. And if you don't know the difference, ask one of your friends that you've tried to share with. Am I obnoxious about my faith? Yeah, you kind of are. Or am I just talking about it? I think about my good friend, Mike. I met him when I worked at Feral Gas years ago. We went to lunch. I took a risk in sharing a little bit about my life before I had explored him, mind you. Didn't do it the right way then. Thankfully, that didn't turn him off. We started running once a week or twice a week during our lunch hour. And, and we have a great friendship to this day and his family. And he knows Jesus now and he, he wants to follow him and does. I think the hardest thing for me in this area of moving from pray to care to share has been with my father, my real dad. When my stepdad Tony passed away years ago, I was not a happy person about that. He was the man that had raised me. 
And I felt God saying, look, if you're going to receive my love and receive my grace and receive my forgiveness, then I want you to think about the one person in your life that you've withheld those things from or who you've withheld them from. It was not a hard question and it was not a hard answer. And it took me a while to eventually begin to move towards my father and now we have a great relationship. And in my life, that's one of those receiver-to-giver stories. I still don't know about my father's faith journey. I know he went to a Catholic school when he was a little boy. I know that his heart has certainly softened over the years. But that is still a journey that we're on. Praying regularly and expectantly, caring intentionally and curiously, and sharing authentically and transparently. You know, Roy said it up here a little bit about the virus. And the truth is, a virus needs three things to spread, to rapidly spread. It needs potency. We all know about that from Corona. But when we talk about God and the relationship that he wants to have with every person, every man, woman, and child on this planet, he wants that with. The potency comes from prayer. And then you have to have proximity. I discovered that I cannot have proximity waving from across the cul-de-sac. That if I see a neighbor pull in, it's, it, I don't know if you live in suburbia, but in suburbia, here's what we do. We pull in, we open our garage doors, we pull in our garage. If you're, like, if you're not like me, you got a bunch of crap in your garage. But, so you get out, and then you walk in the garage, and then you still close. And you're like, why did I use a garage door when the front door is there? But that's a whole other issue. <laughs> I, I discovered that I'm going to stop my vehicle, I'm going to get out, and if I see a neighbor, I'm going to close the gap. One, we're friends now, but before it was awkward. I have to, it's awkward. To walk over and like, hey, how are you? But then I find out, wow, one person's battling cancer. Oh, my God, I didn't know that. One person, their marriage is struggling. Just in the last two months, I found out that a friend who lives, now, let's say this, a neighborly acquaintance who lives just outside our cul-de-sac, he died. And I still feel bad about that because I never closed the gap with him. I tried once or twice. His wife was challenging to get to know but I, did, I let that be a barrier. And now I don't know. And finally, duration. Duration is what else a virus needs. And when you think about spending time with someone, someone else said their, their, their feet under your table is a good way to think about it. I think it's like can be face-to-face, be walking across the street, across the yard, across the cul-de-sac, be engaging another parent at one of your kids' events, whatever it might be. But if you have prayed about it and you've cared for them and asked them about their story, then you will likely have the opportunity to share a little bit about what God's doing in your life and who Jesus is to you. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, uh, I want to just want to pray for all of us here in this room and those watching online that first and foremost, we would receive your grace and your love and your forgiveness. We would know the links that you've gone to to secure us a position in your family. And that we can be thankful for that. That is the most amazing gift ever given. But we can't stop there. That you ask us to not be hoarders of your grace and love and forgiveness, but to be givers of it. 
So help us to do what we're doing right now. Let's pray to you. Let's get our guidance from you. For those folks where we live, learn, work, and play, let's take a block map. Let's get this little love your neighbor guide. Let's, let's practice some of this stuff. Let's feel awkward and know that we're doing it for the greater good of every man, woman, and child, having a repeated opportunity to know you and follow you. God, help us to care. Help us to ask questions. Help us to explore their stories without judgment, with great patience. And those are hard. And then when we're given the opportunity to share what you're doing in our life and the highs and the lows, the ups and the downs, the lefts and the rights, because that's the realness of being a disciple of yours. Thank you for Jesus. In his name I pray, amen.